0: is May 5th and I'm Ryan Miller, Crops Extension Educator. Earlier this morning, we recorded our third episode of the Strategic Farming Field Notes Program. Strategic Farming Field Notes is a weekly programming addressing current crop production topics. A live webinar is hosted at 7.30 a.m. on Wednesdays throughout the cropping season. During the live webinar, participants can join the discussion and get questions answered. An audio recording of the live program is released following the webinar via podcast platforms. Today's webinar was moderated by fellow educators Jared Goplin and Anthony Hansen. On the webinar was special guest Stefan Melson, a crop consultant with United Ag Tech based out of Trimont, Minnesota, and internal guest Bruce Potter, IPM specialist at the Southwest Research and Outreach Center. The guests and moderators discussed how the crop season is progressing and answered questions related to crop and pest management. Thanks, and remember to tune in weekly for a discussion on the current crop situation as well as crop and pest management topics.
1: Welcome, everybody, uh, to today's Strategic Farming Field Notes program uh, from the University of Minnesota Extension. We're happy you guys have joined us today, um, really, for a discussion with, uh, with Bruce Potter and, uh, and Stefan. Uh, and I'll let Anthony uh, give a little bit more formal introduction here, but uh, really looking forward to the conversation today. So my name is Jared Goplin, and I'm, I'm along with one of my colleagues, uh, Anthony Hansen. So, uh, Anthony, with that, I guess I'll hand it over to you.
2: Yeah, thanks, Jared. So uh, Jared mentioned I'm also an IPM educator, so we deal with integrated pest management. We're talking a bit about early season pests today with Bruce Potter, who is based out of southwestern Minnesota in Lamberton with the University of Minnesota Extension. And then we have Stefan Melson, who is based out of southern Minnesota in Trimont, Minnesota. He is a crop consultant. So it's great to have both of you online here. One little note Jared mentioned about podcasts is um, we do have... Other platforms available now. Previous weeks, we didn't have them up quite yet. So especially if you use Apple Podcasts to subscribe, that is now available to you. So be sure to be able to use that if that's your favorite podcast platform. Now, Bruce and Stefan, we'll both uh just because the conversational setup here. So basically feel free to chime in whenever you want on anything that comes up. And then if people want to ask questions in the meantime, feel free to do so but uh, Bruce, we'll start you off maybe. So with the current weather we've been having both, you know, it's been pretty warm up till now and now it's cooled off a little bit. So what does that mean for our pests out there in terms of development and when they'll show up if some of them start to show up already?
3: Well, uh, Anthony, kind of depends on if they're uh, spending the winter here or or if they're migrating in. Um, We haven't had a lot of good weather conditions for pulling insects up into, into Minnesota this spring, the, the ones that overwinter in the south, things like potato leaf hopper, um, some of the cutworms, army worms. Uh, we finally did get a, a significant flight up uh, early last week, 26th, 20, 27th, where we did pick up an isolated area in southern Minnesota um, where we picked up some uh, cutworms migrating in. They're not getting uh, through the state real well. Uh, We've had a lot of blocking uh, high pressure up in the northern part of the state. Uh, As far as insects that overwinter here, it's just been cool. Um, Insects aren't active when it's uh, very cold. Uh, Kind of waiting to see what happens. Uh, You know, we did have that warm spell early on, and some of those insects broke uh, hibernation. And then we got some real cold temperatures down in the 20s. I think that probably infected our infected affected them a little bit and we might have lost some of those uh, both beneficial and pest insects so we'll just have to wait and see um we're gonna have to wait for the crop to get to show up to find out uh what the pest population is like
2: most of the corn crops in the ground ready for a lot of the state have you heard anything about seed corn maggot any reports of that showing up looks like it should be starting to um hit its peak for that first generation showing up here
3: well, I mean, the, you know, the seed corn maggot issue is going to depend on, um, you know, what those conditions were like uh, when, the, when the adults were out. Um, if things are already planted, uh, probably not such a big deal, but if you're putting uh, organic manure or green manure in uh, right before the, or during the adult activity, that's when you tend to attract adults in, and you get some egg laying and some sub, uh, subsequent problems. So the stuff that's planted right now, if we're just getting the adult uh, seed corn maggots uh, out now, I think it's going to be pretty safe. It's going to be the later planted, anything later planted. So Stefan,
2: over on your side for crop scouting, that's there you working quite a bit, and not just on the pest side too, but what are you seeing kind of as the main issue that growers are looking at right now or that they should be looking out for?
4: Uh, Well it's uh, moisture I think uh, is pretty variable uh, in our area of the state Um, where I'm at in Trimont we've received plenty of rain and so we're we're sitting pretty, really good but you go uh, just south of I-90 and it gets dry in a hurry so uh, I think one thing to keep in mind or people should really look at is evaluate your corn stands when they start to come up here um uh, Corn and soybean, I for that matter, both need to be planted into moisture, and there's some of it that's sitting in dry dirt, and that's certainly going to affect uh, the stand and and, uh, um, and how we go from here. So, I'm hoping for a rain, but it might not happen, and we have to play the hammer Delta, I guess. So that'd be the biggest thing in my area, I would say.
3: You know, Stephan, I think one of the problems we're going to have in those those areas where we've got. Uh, some moisture shortages is gonna be uneven emergence and and trying to evaluate those stands and then uh, any of those seedling uh, uh, pests uh, are gonna, it's gonna be a little more uh, difficult to find them because first you got to find out if if it's uh, just sitting in dry dirt or some other issue or if you've got an actual insect or disease there. So it makes that early season scouting a little bit more difficult, I would think.
4: Certainly does, yeah. It'll be interesting. But yeah, I hope it's maybe it depends on Bruce when we get a rain. You know, was it tonight or is it two weeks from now? But that is that fair to say or is that not fair to say?
3: Well, I think the sooner the better is you know, so yeah, if, if, if stuff's laying in uh, and, and we're not getting any moisture for a while, that's that's gonna cause more problems. It's not gonna be so bad right now because we haven't picked up many uh, degree days. Um, so everything's everything's pretty slow. So one of the reasons I wanted Stefan on here is because he's kind of young and he's been doing this for a while so he's learned some things and and uh, I'm on the other end of the spectrum where I've been around so long I forgot forgot a lot of stuff so between the two of us we might be able to answer something. (laughs) Hopefully
1: so. I'm watching some uh, some rain clouds out my window that I'm afraid are going to dissipate before we get any precip here but I'm kind of curious, uh, you know, did people do anything differently um, this spring because of the, the drier conditions, um, I guess? And then, you know, how deep did some people plant? Were they hesitant to push any deeper than two inches or did, did some stuff get put in deeper?
4: Uh, if you have well, an idea. We, yeah, absolutely. We, I mean, you kind of react to the conditions uh, and and there was a lot of, of, of our growers anyways the, uh, that were planting two and a half inches deep. Um, and it's, you know, if you don't have moisture, you're kind of, you're planning to dry dirt or you're going deeper. It's kind of a, a choice, and, and so um, that was one thing that certainly did happen. Um, you know, we, in the past couple of years when we've had a lot of rain, we've been, you know, working ground and, and letting it lay for a couple hours to um, dry things out a little bit, and we didn't do that this year. It was, you know, follow the, the cultivator as fast as you can with the planter to try to conserve that, uh, if you're in that tillage system. So um, those are probably the two biggest things that um, I saw some changes to uh, from last year or pre or prior years anyways.
1: Yep, yeah, a buddy of mine is uh, actually a precision planting dealer and was telling me about some of the new products they have with the auto depth control. Um, I don't know if, if you have anybody that you work with that have had that but uh, this was a year where I was really thinking you know something like that really could come in handy because you know some of those variable fields with lighter soils on hilltops Um, You know, you really had to go a ways to find moisture uh, where some of those wetter areas you didn't have to go quite as deep. But um, certainly a year like this, uh, some of those new technologies I think could have been helpful.
4: I don't have anyone using them myself, but um, something to think about, I suppose, for uh, testing out.
1: Unfortunately, there's a hefty price tag, I think, associated (laughs) with that. So (laughs) it's a little bit of a hold up there.
3: And the only other thing is you can only go so deep. And corn, you can (laughs) push a little deeper than soybeans. Um, soybeans, you know, if you start getting much, much past, much past two inches, um, you know, you're really asking a lot for those hypocotyls to get through. So, um, you know, hopefully, hopefully, uh, we get some rain here and everything kind of smooths out and, and, uh, otherwise we're off to a pretty good start. I mean, the field conditions were great. That's, that's part of the battle. Um, usually part of the, the biggest part of depth control is, is, uh, when field conditions aren't aren't as good, you know, it's uh, your mud, you know, guys end up mudding stuff in and we haven't had this years that this year. So all we need is some water and and uh, and some heat. And in some areas they're sitting pretty good for water. So
2: we have one question that came up, uh, Ashley Storby asking how minimum till systems might behave differently in the season in light of our dry conditions.
3: Well, you're going to have, uh, you know, the, the, the potential is there to have um, more more moisture if you're not working that ground. Um, you know, I've talked to a couple people that thought, which is kind of backwards, that actually some of the uh, last year's corn ground is actually uh, wetter or drier than the soybean, or excuse me, wetter than the soybean ground. And, and that's because probably because of snow catch, that sort of, that sort of thing. So, you know, if you've got, uh, if you've got, uh, you know, more residue on the sis, uh, surface and haven't worked it, it's probably maintaining a little bit uh, moisture. Uh, normally those fields take a little longer to get into in the spring, but maybe not this year, Stephen, what do you think?
4: I, I'd agree. Yeah, the the the, uh, um, the residue I think is a, is a big thing. I mean, if you've got it right there shading that soil, it's not going to dry out nearly as fast. But like you said, like you alluded to, there's other challenges. Make sure your planner can get in there and do it. A um, proper job is is something to uh, consider too. And if you're just trying it for the first time, there might be a learning curve. If you've done it, um, you probably know how to do it. Uh, no-till soybeans, for instance. But the planner, making sure the planner is is able to do it, I think is important too.
1: Yeah, definitely seemed like a good year to uh, to try out some no-till. Certainly better than the last few years. As much moisture as we've had the last uh, <laughs> few springs, that's for sure. Yeah. I guess I'm going to piggyback off that question. Um, you know, in some of these different tillage systems or some of these fields that maybe haven't been planted? Uh, Bruce, is there anything we should be watching uh, in terms of pest, you know, these black cutworm migrations? Is there anything we should be watching a little bit differently in in some of these minimum till uh, or, you know, just the later planted fields?
3: Well, sure. As far as as black cutworms, uh, um, we've got, when the adults are laying eggs, the females are laying eggs, they're looking for one of the preferred uh, spots to uh, conditions to lay eggs in is um where soybean stubble is still uh there, and you've got maybe a little bit of early season weed growth, uh, winter annuals and and things like lambs quarters, that sort of thing that emerge early in the spring. Those are those are uh prime areas. Um so the stuff that hasn't been worked when this flight came in uh, last week, that's gonna help you focus where you're where you're expecting problems. And in, in other words, if this field hasn't been tilled before the 20, 26th, 27th, um, those are the ones you're probably going to want to focus on scouting. Some older data, you know, there's there's a, there's a tendency to see more uh, damage in ridge-till type situations. So, strip-till, uh, we haven't had, uh, haven't, we don't have any data on that yet, but I would think that might be a little bit similar because you've got the residue there and you've also got, uh, you know, some early season weed growth where that, where that uh, piece has been tilled. We have uh, Brad Carlson
2: mentioning too, that uh, he was on site where there's some no-till beans putting, being put in about in Rice County. This is back on Monday and conditions are pretty ideal then at least. So like, that kind of brings up a question a little bit is you know what other conditions or wh- when is when are these conditions actually pretty ideal for planting? I know we have listeners from different soil types here. I know I've heard some people complaining about if they're on real heavy ground, their soil temperature is actually pretty low still. Apparently, or at least they feel it is. so. Have you heard anything about differences between your you know, our sandy ground that people are working with compared to some heavier ground? Anything to be looking out between the two of them?
4: Stefan, you want to take that? I mean, yeah, yeah. sure. I, I I'm. <clears throat> I think the soil. Myself, I think the soil conditions are king. You know, making sure that it's it's uh, that you're not planting into mud that you're you can. Um, Find moisture, and it's um, you're not compacting the soil. But I'm less concerned about temperature myself. Um, in, in general, it's
3: usually the heavier soils are are, uh, are 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 a little bit cooler in the spring than sands. So sands warm up a little quicker, and the sands uh, freeze earlier in the fall. So, um, but again, if if uh, if, if it's sitting in cold ground, uh, you know, refrigerators work on the principle of, you know, low temperatures and you don't have any biological activity. So, um, you know, it's it's just as good there as in the shed.
1: Mm-hmm. I'd agree. Now, talking about that, uh, um, Liz Stahl and I had put together an article. Uh, we had put out a survey way back in, in uh, the late fall of 2019. And I hate to bring up that year because it was so painful uh, in many areas in the spring. Uh, but really, uh, you know, that little survey on yield evaluations was was pretty telling that, you know, anybody who did put it into wet or very wet conditions, uh, a lot of the comments were I should have taken prevent plant. Um, but some of those even that were planted a little bit later, if they're into ideal conditions or better conditions, it wasn't quite so bad. So, um, you know, it's kind of we finally got that that data somewhat summarized and, uh, you know, it just so happened to be on a year that was almost perfect conditions. But. Uh, So a lot different than 2019, but I think there's still a lot of lessons we learned that year.
2: Bruce, how about on the disease side of things? What things are you either keeping an eye out for early emergence, or what do you think this season is being set up for, as much as we can kind of try to guesstimate what might be happening in the next coming months here?
3: Well, it's too early to make any kind of projections on, you know, some of the later season foliar diseases. Uh, Seedling diseases, though, I think... uh, you know, we've got, we don't have excess moisture conditions. So I think uh, we're in pretty good shape uh, there. Um, I'm, not, I'm not as worried about things as, you know, Pythium or Fusarium or whatever, whatever fungi type things, damping off. Um, we do have uh, in our fungicide studies uh, we, do, we do have an un, some untreated corn and some untreated soybeans. And in Lamberton, that corn went in pretty early. So we'll see what, uh, you know, we've got the same hybrid with and without a fungicide on the seed. So we'll see if that makes any difference. My guess is this year it's going to be, it's going to come up just fine.
1: And bringing up seed treatments, I guess that's a question I'm wondering if you guys have any feel, uh, Stefan, especially, um, did people pull back on seed treatments this year? You know, specifically talking about soybeans here. Or given the commodity prices, they weren't going to give up any inputs regardless of the conditions. Just kind of curious what you're hearing or seeing out in the field.
4: Sure. Yeah, I uh, certainly probably you know the people who always treated their beans are still doing it. You know, I don't generally see much of year over year a blanket benefit to treating every soybean, but I don't think there's a huge uptick. I think people are a little cautious. Uh, with the rise in prices uh, just to make sure that they're gonna be around for a little while longer. But, so I don't think there's a huge uptick yet, no. But I had certainly more questions about, uh, should I treat my soybeans? Um, I think that has to do just as much with uh, the rise in prices as it does with uh, early planting. Uh, people are concerned about the risk of a disease uh, infecting their soybeans. So um, that's probably just as much as the, as the market price, I would say.
2: So, we get questions about invasive species sometimes. We have uh, one question asking about jumping words in agriculture. So, do either of you want to comment on those in terms of, you know, this invasive species kind of hit the news a little bit, but we don't always hear about it a whole lot specifically for agriculture yet,
3: at least specifically tailored to what we're working on here? I've got no experience with it, so I'm going to keep my mouth shut.
1: They sound pretty crazy, right? It's one of those names that's really catchy.
2: <laughs> yeah, since I gotta look, I gotta find out more about it myself too. But yeah, another question is, we have Paul Miller, he's a small operation new grower. He's just wondering what are the typical pesticides applied when planting for corn and beans? And uh, does anyone use planter application techniques or is everything seed coating now?
3: Um, could you repeat that question, Anthony?
2: Sure, so uh, this is, he was just wondering, what are the typical pesticides applied when planting corn and beans? Is it mostly through the planter itself when you apply the pesticides, basically soil applied insecticides,
3: liquids, or is it more on the seed coating end of things? It depends on uh, on the pest you're trying to go after in the crop. Soybeans, it's mostly uh, uh, mostly seed treatments as far as uh, insecticide. Um, we are starting to look a little bit, bit with soybean gall midge, uh, some of the uh, Add plant insecticides, things like thiameth, that sort of things. Seeing if that buys any relief from the from that pest. And then you get into corn rootworms, where the seed treatments aren't that effective, you know. And and so the the granulars or and some of the better liquids are uh, inferal liquids are the way to go. Stefan, you know. Um, we do. I do research on on insecticides, rootworm insecticides, aphid insecticides, that sort of thing, and and provide some data. How do you, um, as a consultant, use any of that, or or how do you help your clients make a decision on if they need something uh, as an insurance treatment?
4: Yeah. Um... So, well, yeah, we do see your, use your research every year, Bruce, and, and uh, I, I, think, I think it's well, specifically talking about corn rootworm, I think it's fair to say it's a very local issue. Uh, you know, it's, it's not just because somebody that you hear of a neighbor having maybe a problem maybe doesn't mean you do. So I think scouting is, the, is, the, uh, uh, is a big deal, making sure you're out there looking at corn around tassel. You can use sticky traps to try to catch them and try to uh, make a, a judgment on what levels you maybe have uh, going forward. But, um, so I, I think that it is important. This sc- ties back to scouting. I don't, in terms of the insecticide issue, I'd agree with you, Bruce. It's the granulars are probably better in general uh, the, or the best uh, insecticide to use if you're gonna use it for corn rootworm, specifically in a corn on corn situation or many years of corn, but on, a, you know, on most corn soybean acres, it's not being used. Uh, and it doesn't, I don't think it needs to be because the levels are are low if you're scouting generally. But what were you seeing for your corn rootworm uh, levels last year, Bruce?
3: Well, I think you hit on it. It's the long-term continuous corn where the problems have arisen. Uh, We've got, uh, you know, at least to the the BTs that are available right now, we've got uh, resistance to the single traits and the stacks, uh, the pyramids. So once you get into a rotated situation uh there's a few cases where you've got some extended diapause but uh even the northerns uh where where there tend to be problems they tend to be in that longer term corn Mm -hmm. at least right now say bruce have you been out
2: checking any buckthorn lately finding any soybean aphid out there yet
3: uh i've never been able to find soybean aphid on buckthorn in the spring I'm sure they're there. And uh, I think if you're looking at soybean aphids, this early planting um, tend, tends to favor it. Uh, yeah, drier conditions uh, tends to favor them a little bit. So we'll see what happens. Like I mentioned, uh, when we got some of that, uh, you know, temperatures in the 20s, that sort of thing, uh, a lot of those eggs should have been hatched on buckthorn. Uh, so we'll see if that had any impact. Yeah,
2: I'll admit that one. That's a case too, where I haven't found them except for once on for them myself. They're, they're pretty hard to find, it seems like, out there. So that's an well, art for, yeah. for whoever I'm, can find them.
3: I'm, I'm almost, uh, I'm suspicious that they're not overwintering in very specific habitats and, and even specific plants. Uh, we can find them in the fall and then the predators and parasites pretty well wipe them out. Um, so they're hanging on in, in uh, I think, some pretty specific habitats. So we did have
2: uh, one comment and question as well. They're just mentioning how seed treatments uh, seem to have increased in Southwestern Minnesota due to lots of early planted soybeans. So when we have early planted soybeans, what specific treatments are we considering that are economical, at least for early planting in terms of either diseases or what happens on the insect side of things as well?
3: Um, yeah, I don't have any data on, on you know, how much more or less uh, insecticides uh, or, or seed treatment insecticide or fungicides are going on right now. I think uh, people tend to tend to want to put more fungicide seed treatments on um, when it's cooler. But like I mentioned earlier, I think the biggest driver is getting a lot of ra- uh, rain saturated soils within a few days after planting. Um, we've got some issues with uh, last year with uh, sudden death syndrome and that that initial in- infection happens during the seedling stage. So I think there might've been uh, a little more seed treatments put on to combat that that disease. Um, but I guess the on the insecticide side, I don't know if you're gonna get much benefit for aphids or anything like that. Uh, we have seen a few more uh, uh, bean leaf beetles in uh, west central Minnesota into South Dakota. I don't know how the winters impacted them, but. Uh, the ones I've noticed in the past seem to be immune to the to the Iowa State uh, degree day uh, overwintering model. They seem to do better in colder temperatures than, than that model would suggest. So we'll see what happens. But if you're growing seed beans and, and you're worried about virus or bean leaf beetle, that would be one case for seed treatment.
2: Bean leaf beetle is kind of a good example of pests that people may not always remember sometimes. So what should you be keeping an eye out for with bean leaf beetle, at least in terms of what you're scouting for and damage from it.
3: Well, they're going to, you know, you're, they're going to see them early in the season, the overwintering generation, um, the feeding damage is pretty distinctive on those seedling beans. They cut, uh, two, uh, nice round holes in the leaves and, and, If you've got an early infestation and you're, you know, the, it's the same defoliation thresholds as everything else. The soybeans are pretty tolerant to defoliation, but those fields that tend, that have higher populations in the spring are the ones that you're going to want to watch later on, um, for, for pod feeding and, and that sort of thing. Jared, I guess, so
2: both you and I are kind of in West Central Minnesota. Um, are you seeing anything else kind of further out West in your area that's, of unique to conditions right now or is it kind of about the same what we're talking about across the state where it's just pretty dry and anything that would apply to both to bruce or stephanie
1: yeah i guess pretty similar uh so far i'm just trying to enjoy these nice conditions i'm right in the, the neck you know the territory that has really struggled the last couple of years so trying to enjoy that while i can uh, the biggest question mark i guess in my uh in my you know for me anyways is on the weed control side of things A little bit of a teaser for next week's episode. We will have uh, Devlin Serangi and Tom Peters on uh, next week on Wednesday morning to talk a little bit more on weed control. Uh, But I am curious, uh, you know, Stefan and Bruce, if any changes to some of the weed management programs or are people, uh, you know, maybe wanting to push their pre's um, just based on the lack of moisture or, you know, is there any strategies people are are contemplating at this point?
4: Uh, Well, if you certainly, if you haven't you know planted your crop yet you you still would have the option to maybe switch that pre-emergence application to a pre-plant incorporated application um if lack of moisture is a concern um that would be a way to get some activity anyways uh right away um but there's a lot of crop that's planted and there's a lot of pre that's been applied at least in my area that some has had a rain on it and some has not um so that could be a big concern i think uh maybe bruce can and and uh, talk about or maybe you jerry can talk about what uh uh, if we get a rain two weeks after a pre-application, how much activity we're really getting? But I think in, in, it's going to put more pressure on the post-emergence application in corn and soybean uh, with what we're seeing now.
1: Yeah, I'll defer <laughs> to next week uh, to Dublin and Tom. They can ask the answer the hard questions.
3: Sure, sure, <laughs> perfect. <laughs> Any rotary hose in the grove probably need a
4: little bit of a tune-up.
1: <laughs> Better buy your bearings now; they'll probably be in yep. short supply.
4: Yeah, you have to cut the (laughs) mulberry trees out from between that to get it out to uh, to work.
2: I was going to say some of ours in our backwoods, we uh, need to get some chainsaws out for that one. We do have one other question. Uh, Colleen Carlson is asking about any early concerns for alfalfa. I know we've had some reports in Central Minnesota, Nathan Druitt's mentioning that it seems like he's finding pretty good stands that overwintered at least. But uh, Bruce or Stefan, anything you're hearing about alfalfa specifically?
3: um no i mean we haven't had the stands that i've looked at look pretty good um we don't have a lot of insects in them some pea aphids um we haven't seen alfalfa weevils move into into the crop yet it's been dry so we're not seeing much leaf disease the only thing that has really gone wrong is maybe they could use some of them could use a little bit of a drink and, and uh uh, some of them got nipped by some of that cold weather, but they they grew, they grew right through it so alfalfa looks pretty good it's gonna need some moisture here for this first cutting.
1: I guess I'll expand that a bit to uh, Bruce on the small grain side of things sounds like you are picking up some some insects in the small grains
3: uh yeah, we're picked up uh, some master leaf hoppers nothing like the the big uh, influx we had uh, um, several years ago. Uh, and there are some some aphids in that. Uh, in, in, in the winter grains. Uh, English grain aphids are what I'm most, mostly finding now. And, uh, you know, those are, those are reproducing. They're, they're kicking off nymphs that had a pretty good clip. Um, so we've got some aphids in, in the system. I don't know if any of them are carrying disease like barley yellow dwarf at this point, um, but those are, they're gonna be available. They're gonna be able to move to the sp- spring grains. Um, and then also uh, later in the season, uh, as that corn, uh, Green starts to mature; they'll start moving over into corn as well. We don't think they're a big economic threat in corn, but but uh, if you're planting corn into rye, you know you probably don't you're, you're probably asking for a little bit of risk for for uh, for a couple reasons, uh, maybe some cutworm issues, but also uh, uh, also armyworms. Now, fortunately, we haven't seen a lot of those come in yet.
1: I think you kind of touched on my, one of my questions. That's always the the million dollar question in the cover crop world, right? Is is what insect pests are we going to bring in, in in some of these situations so i guess time will tell
3: huh uh, yeah I, I would definitely be scouting them um, you know it's it's uh it's not a no risk proposition that's that's uh, that's for sure the other thing that we're seeing here at lamberton is some of that rye is actually under under a little bit of moisture stress already uh so i think uh guys that are leaving that rye out there too long and it's where it's dry are going to have some issues later on with their with their crop
1: and Anthony, so I guess we're kind of getting getting close to the end of our session here. I don't know. Do you have any other last kind of last questions for for Bruce or Stefan before we wrap this thing up?
2: Yeah, I had one last question. I was thinking about is you know, with these dry conditions, if they hold through the summer, we're really setting ourselves up for two spotted spider mite to be a problem potentially. So, do either of you have an idea of when that really can start to show up? You know, late season especially, but. Can it happen earlier too if we have dry conditions or does that take a while to really build?
3: Well, it takes a while to build. They're overwintering on, on uh, perennial vegetation. So there's another thing that might be happening in your, in your, uh, in your cover crops. Soybean, there's a, there's a crop stage uh, component to that as well. And in other words, soybeans, uh, they tend to be more attractive and, and uh, susceptible to spider mites once they're in the reproductive stage. But those mites are out there. Uh, they need some warmer temperatures. Um, Their the reproduction is tied to temperature pretty closely. So they're out there, but they're not doing much right now. But uh, if we get some heat and dry weather, um, they can take off. Typically, when we start to see problems in crops is when, uh, you know, people start moving or mowing uh, ditches and that sort of thing and driving them into the field.
1: So Bruce and Stephan, uh, any any final comments or reminders to people before we... We close today.
4: Yeah, check your stands. I guess that'd probably be it. Yeah, it's uh, it's going to be important this year, um, and t- what to do afterwards. Uh, you know, when you if you if you've got a great stand, great. But if you don't, then something needs to be done. Uh, figuring it out. But I would definitely be checking your corn and soybean stands, especially if dryness is an issue.
3: If you've got a stand issue, the earlier you find it, the better. Um, and I think across Minnesota this spring, things are so variable that. I don't know if there's any one uh, statement we can make about anything, but uh, other than other than to say that uh, you know that, like Stefan mentioned, that early season and stand evaluation is really important. So, and you can't do that from from the road very well, unless Stefan can. Nope. He's a highly trained professional. Yeah, yeah.
1: <laughs> Think a
3: lot, yeah.
1: It always looks better from the road, though. Is the problem?
3: Especially when the corn's taller. <laughs>
1: Well, I guess with that, uh, you know, we'd really like to thank Bruce and Stefan for joining us on the call here today. I don't know, Anthony, uh, anything else from you before we wrap up?
2: Yeah, I don't have too much else for updates here, but um, we'll just put a little plug in that we do have um, some forecasting going on for some of these insects. Uh, We should have this on the extension website eventually, but you can also go to Veg Edge, where some of these are hosted. We talked about Sea corn maggot. Uh, there will be more resources out there for those coming up eventually too. So we, we can do a little forecasting with some of these pests and there's some work going on with those to get more resources out to focus on those. So if this conversation interested you, there might be more information coming out on that in the future.
1: Well, thank you everyone for attending today's uh, Field Notes program. Uh, again, reminder, we will be back again next week on Wednesday morning at 7.30. Uh, we'll have uh, Dr. Tom Peters, uh, Sugar Beet Weed Scientist with U of M and NDSU, as well as Devlin uh University of Minnesota Extension Weed Scientist, uh, to talk a little bit more on some of these weed management considerations. So uh, we hope to see you again next week. And if you can't tune in, feel free to subscribe on the podcast service. So thanks.